This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 493. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and joined today by Jacob Paulson. Yep, thanks. No, the intro. That's it. I'm here. My name's Jacob. You're just Jacob. You're you're boring. There's nothing more to say about you. Nothing new we could learn about you. Uh, <laughs> today I was wearing a hoodie that says ah. Brazil on the front. I took it off because I got a little bit toasty. But it's actually spelled B-R-A-S-I-L on my hoodie, which makes me very happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The I lived in Brazil. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, guys, welcome to another show. Uh, we are thrilled to be with you today to talk with you about universal background checks and why we think they are a really bad idea. And it, you know, it's something that's come up more recently in the news. It's been uh, more discussed as of recently, especially since this terrible shooting in Boulder, Colorado, uh, what, 10 days ago or so now? Yeah. And which, by the way, I didn't mention anything about that last week as far as, you know, at least just uh, acknowledging that it occurred. Uh, hopefully nobody was too butthurt about that. Uh, it was definitely on our minds. Um, Jacob actually probably doesn't live that far from where that occurred. Uh, Time-wise, you know, you, you probably could drive minutes to or less. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I've been to that very King Supers. Uh, King Supers is a uh, Kroger brand store um, because I used to do some some work up in the Boulder area, and I had, I had stopped in there a time or two. Um, anyway, so kind of an, uh, interesting thing for us because it, it hits close to home. Um, a terrible thing, of course, and we recognize that, and we'll probably talk about it in greater depth at some future episode, just so everybody knows. Today's episode is sponsored and brought to you by, first we have the ReadyUp Gear MCF Spark Flashlight. Jacob, why don't you tell the folks about this? All right, so MCF stands for Modular Compact Flashlight, and this is a new design style concept product line of flashlights uh, that's very young and new right now it's limited to just a handful of components but basically what you have is a the body of the light itself is no wider than would be necessary to accommodate a traditional CR123A uh, battery so that gives you a sense for its width you know, we're talking about an inch or less in, in diameter and the body of the flashlight, the head, the tail cap, all of that is one same diameter. So it does not get any larger at one end or the other. So it's it's very um, small relative to its diameter, uh, as small as it could be and still take a high power battery, frankly. Uh, it has a very high strength uh, steel pocket clip that designed by Riley, as it were, uh, that's really, you know, makes it easy to clip it onto the pocket and make sure it stays there without you know, destroying your pants when you take it on or put it off and, and accommodating a standard size of uh, pocket seam, I guess. It comes with two different tail caps. So again, it's modular, right? So one of the things that's modular is it, is it can be used with various tail caps. Right now there are two available. And when you order the MCF Spark, it comes with both of those tail caps. One known as the utility tail cap, one is the tactical tail cap. I won't get into any more 
description than that, but to say that both of them have a simple momentary on and constant on function. So no press three times for this or twice for that. It's just, it's on or it's off and you can, you know, slight press it to get momentary on, or you can click it on to get constant on. And that's, that's it in terms of functionality, which is very purposeful. Yeah, this ba- this flashlight will run on four different batteries. It runs on the 16340 or the CR123A. Those are comparable in size. Uh, 16340 is just a rechargeable version of a CR123A. It's also slightly higher in voltage output. Uh, 16340 puts out 3.7 volts instead of the traditional 3 volts. It'll also run with a AA. It comes with a little spacer that elongates the body of the light to accommodate a AA battery. Or you can run on a 14500 battery, which is similar in size to a AA, but it's also rechargeable and has higher voltage output. So depending on the battery you're using it with, uh, you can get anywhere up to 550 lumens at max. That would be with the 16340 3.7 volt battery. So extremely modular. Uh, today, you know, you're getting one body piece, one head, two tail caps, and, and an ex- body extension, depending on the battery you use. You can use it with four different batteries. And I think it's possibly true that I could say that it has the highest lumen output per mass of any flashlight out there. Extremely small package for 550 lumens. And uh, more modular components that are compatible with it to come from uh, Ready Up Gear in the future. Yeah, um, that's a product that you know I carry now uh, as one of my options of flashlights. It's a great option for something that people are looking for in a nice compact format. Um, the, uh, you know, the th- you're exactly right that in terms of the lumens, it is exceedingly bright for its size of, of a package, right? Uh, it's relatively, I mean, it's, it's about the width of the base of my index finger. Uh, really, you know, my, my middle finger compares quite, you know, similarly to it in size and length even so just to give you kind of an idea that a you know that it's not much bigger than one of your fingers um, for most of you and so that's pretty easy to fit in a cramped pocket or any number of places for convenient carry Uh, 550 lumens as you mentioned with the uh, 16340 batteries but lumens isn't the only important thing Um, you know this is a, a a flashlight head that also does pretty well in the candela count for its size. It's much, it's hard to get much better than what this one puts out candela wise. And by that really the best way to think of that is candela is going to affect your throw, how far you can really throw that light and how well you can punch through uh, various photonic barriers. Uh, meaning like for, let me give you an example. If you're in a parking lot at night, most parking lots have overhead lighting and, you know, while they may not be very well lit, there's, there is some light present and you may be trying to identify who somebody is or what their intentions may be. And you want some good throw so that you can kind of punch, so you can shoot that light beam and, and be able to light up something that you're trying to identify, even when you have other ambient light conditions that may be uh, uh, making that difficult. So it's kind of like, you know, when you're in a in a dim but somewhat lit environment and you try to use your cell phone uh, light, you'll notice pretty quickly that it doesn't really, you know, you can almost like, or you almost can't tell if it's even making much of a difference. Um, You need that, that really powerful, you know, throw 
to make use of those lumens and be able to use it in a variety of environments. This light does very well in that category for its size. And and so, yeah, very excited about it and, and what it means for concealed carriers. And we're happy to have this associated with the, as well as the Ready Up brand with the Concealed Carry podcast. Moving on to our second sponsor today is Ammo Supply Warehouse. Uh, that's the place I would consider going and checking for ammunition if you are looking for ammunition at this time. I know it's difficult, and even when you're on their website, you may not see a lot available much of the time. You want to make sure that you're on their email list because they send out regular updates uh, when they get stuff in. So so that's good to be aware of. Um, they do have, I see, four boxes not a lot, but they have four boxes of Fioki 9mm, 147 grain right now in stock. The price is going to be higher than what you'd like to pay, but guys, it's there, it's available, um, and that's that's one of the things. They're working hard to have ammunition available uh, when you know so, so that people can buy it. Even if it's a little bit high priced, at least you can find it when you really need it, okay? So give them a give them a look, and if you're a Guardian Nation member, you're going to save an additional five percent off of the price that you see listed there, even more. So anyway, awesome, proud to have Ammo Supply Warehouse, Ready Up Gear, and the MCF Spark sponsors of today's podcast. Let's get now to our topic, Jacob. Universal background checks and why we think they are a really bad idea. <laughs> yes, yes, we do. And I think this one is challenging because of all the gun control type rhetoric and proposed legislation out there, this is the one that I think, A, um, gets the most support from gun owners. And and B, is the most difficult to understand what the problem would be. Because on the surface, it seems pretty logical that we all just want to keep, you know, keep guns out of the hands of bad guys. And so it makes you almost feel like a bad person when you don't support this kind of legislation. Uh, but first and foremost, let's talk about what it is, and then and then we can dive in. So universal background check legislation, what is it? Uh, sometimes also another term you might hear is just expanded background checks. Uh, this is something that would address the commonly you know purported gun show loophole or online sale loophole. so let's let's get clarity. The federal government uh, has laws in place uh, managed and enforced by the ATF that require the background checks be run, conducted on a buyer by any time a dealer, someone who has a federal firearm license, sells or transfers a gun to a consumer. So if you are in the business of selling guns, right, you 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 are in the business of selling guns, then you're required to have a fire, federal firearm license, an FFL. And if you have an FFL, then you're required to conduct a background check on the recipient of the gun. And that's currently the, the, the law that's in place nationally, federally, you know, across the entire country. Now, a private transfer, on the other hand, you know, just between Riley and I, uh, as an example, or between you and your, your dad, or between you and your neighbor, um, speaking generally as a country, that's not something that currently would require a background check. Uh, it, it, it's just not required because there's no dealer involved because neither of you are in the business of selling guns uh, therefore, no one is a dealer, and because there's no dealer involved, no background check has to take place. And so traditionally, in most states, a private transfer does not require a background check. And when you know, 
legislators and gun grabbers talk about the gun show loophole or the online sale loophole, that's what they're referring to. This idea that someone does not have to go through a background check in order to acquire a gun if they buy it from someone who's not a dealer. And in the vast majority of states, that's that's fine and dandy. Now, there are a handful of states that have legislation in place that is you know, what we would call universal background check legislation. Riley and I live in one of those states. Uh, so those states would include Oregon, California, Colorado, New Mexico, Hawaii, Illinois, New York, Rhode Island, Connecticut, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Delaware, and D.C. Um, all of those states have a law in place already that has basically said, no, nope, nope, doesn't matter, private transfer or otherwise, we, you have to have a background check. We're just not letting anything slide. Um, there are a variety of exceptions generally for family members. Uh, you know, certain family members don't require a background check. You also have a handful of states like Nebraska, Iowa, Michigan, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, and Maryland, uh, where they they have these universal background check laws in place for handguns only. So, you know, you could do a, pi- a private transfer of a long gun uh, with a neighbor with no background check required. But in those states, to do that with a handgun would be illegal. You would need a background check. So that's kind of the current the current state of things and, and what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just going to point out that uh, there is a, you know, like here in Colorado with you, with our universal background check law that we've had now for, well, this year will make it uh, eight years. Yeah, July 1st will be eight years. Um, there, There is an exception for transfers between immediate family members. Uh, but, you know, if I wanted to, if I wanted to uh, transfer a gun, sell a gun, gift a gun to like my cousin for instance, and I do have a cousin that lives here locally and, you know, he's a, he's a fine ups, upstanding law abiding citizen that I've known my entire life. Uh, I, I know better than the government does in terms of the character and the quality of this man, but yet I can't transfer a gun to him. And, and that, that just like, it, it, to me, that's mind boggling, you know? Um, and that's, so, so people will talk about universal background checks, and I think that many people generally acknowledge that there probably should be some exceptions, but I haven't seen a statute in any of the states that's implemented these that I think successfully does that in a way that uh, reduces the burden upon citizens as much as possible. Like, there, there's always still going to be a burden. Like, for instance, it's crazy to me, Jacob, that it, it's technically illegal for me to loan you a firearm in, in the state of Colorado. Yeah, we've run into that problem before, right? Uh, yeah, company sends us a gun to test, and it's like <laughs> you and I, if you know, you and I both have to go to the gun range together to get that done if we both want to shoot it, or else we're going to pay money, you know, both to the state government and to someone who has a FFL in order to do a temporary transfer, just so that you know you can borrow it. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. So, but this is also the thing that I think that when people say that they generally support background checks that they don't they're it's really hard to uh, see and understand the nuanced parts of the law that you're going to run into after the fact that you're like, Oh, I didn't see that as being a problem. Like, Oh, this is terribly inconvenient. This is difficult. You know, it's so like <sighs> case law has shown many times in the courts that when we're balancing infringements upon, and I call them infringements, absolutely, upon things like the Second Amendment, it has to be balanced. Where there are infringements or restrictions, it has to be balanced 
with the burden that 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 places upon the individual. And there's a lot of areas where that becomes very difficult to do and also difficult to foresee. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's that's just the problem is that, you know, when we try and dumb things down, we, regardless of which side of a debate you're on, all of us try and bury it into a sales pitch that's an elevator pitch that's easy and quick and, and to understand, right? So in the case of this one, like the the bear, like the super boiled down sales pitch is, what well, like don't you want to keep guns out of the hands of bad people, like felons? Because this is the, this is what we got to do. That mm-hmm. sounds pretty convincing. I'm not gonna lie. Like that's like, like, like let's just. <laughs> Think of it this way. What percentage of gun owners, if they got a phone call today and said, hey, excuse me, I'm conducting a poll for blank, blank, whatever organization. Um, I would like to know, do you support legislation that requires all gun buyers to pass a background check? Yes or no? Like, on the, like it just sounds, without a, a great deal of understanding of what the repercussions are of that, I think that the average gun owner, uh, it would just wouldn't surprise me, right? That an average gun owner would be like, yeah, no, sure, I support that, right? Like, that sounds logical. That sounds like a good idea. Like, what would be the downside of that? And so that's the point of today's episode is for us to discuss like what is the misinformation being spread uh, and what is the downside of this kind of a law that's in place. And and now we have track record. Like this is not theoretical anymore. Just at least, I mean, to some degree, there's still going to be some theory in place, but we do have states, you know, what I just named, like a dozen to 20 or something states that have some form of a universal background check on place. So we have track record uh, to some degree about some of these nuances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely, we do. You know, the, the the way this is tailored from a, like you said, like a sales pitch, um, is the idea is that our goal is to reduce gun deaths and gun-related violence uh, or violent crimes where guns happen to be used. And so you're absolutely right that there is, there, there, there are numerous case studies all across the country now that we can point to. And we have almost eight years of data now combined with years prior to 2013, where we didn't have the universal background check law in Colorado. And we can now look at crime statistics and look at the eight years or even longer leading up to that passage of that law in 2013. And we can look at the eight years since what I could tell you is that for a stretch there, things I, now I'm going to pull it up here in a moment. Uh, violent crimes remain fairly flat, but in the last few years in Colorado, violent crimes has been on an increase. And especially in the last year or two, it's really ramped up. So, you know, supposedly all these laws we passed in 2013 were going to make us safer but that doesn't seem to be holding to be true. Now, the truth of the matter is there's a lot of factors. Yeah. Tons of variables in, in what influences crime. Um, you know, it, it, it can, I mean, policy alone, as far as like, I'm talking broad policy, take New York, for example, and we've discussed this before. Um, now my understanding is crime in New York has been on a rise in recent years as well, but, there was a stretch there with even with very strict laws in place, they had, they saw a, a decline in crime. Uh, 
but it was probably more related to the fact that you had mayors like Rudy Giuliani that were very, very tough on crime and funded the police department extensively to really make that a top priority to fight crime and to have officers on dang near every corner in the city. Contrast that with a town or a town, a city like Chicago with, you know, some similar restrictions uh, in terms of laws or even LA in you know, California, uh, and, and you see very different results in terms of crime levels and crime rates uh, when there's also some similar gun control laws in place. So, so there's there's all kinds of factors. The point is, is the way it's sold is that if we do this, we're going to get this result over here. And that is an absolute false premise. They ca- you, you cannot promise that we will have crime reduction or death reduction by instituting a universal background check. It hasn't shown to be true anywhere it's been implemented. Yeah, and there's really smart statisticians out there that can try and isolate variables, right, and account for various factors. And, and it, you know, it's never a perfect system, but... Regardless, we've just not seen any data that suggests that universal background checks make any difference. And, and we're going to go through some of the reasons why that would be today and, 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 and also talk about some of the dangers as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What do you want to start with first? I, mean, well, I want to start with I some like of the common... we're already having a conversation. Yeah, yeah. I want to start with some of the... Like we've got like, some points we need to cover. <laughs> I do. Have, I have points. I always have points. <laughs> My brain thinks in bullet lists. Um. So I think that I want to start with some of the things we hear these politicians say that I think are not true. So I think we just need to like call out some of the misinformation. So I think that one of the first ones you hear, uh, and I, we heard this a lot during the Obama administration, is we heard 40% of firearms sold don't require a background check, suggesting that today in the current environment, or at least when Obama was you know throwing this out all the time, that of all the gun sales in America, you know, 100, 100 times that a gun is sold, 40 of those are private transfers, that they're not going through a dealer, and that therefore no background check was performed. And I think it's important to know where that statistic came from. It, it came from a study that was completed in 1994, and the total data pool was 251 people. <laughs> So, so a couple of problems here. The first one is that, that that research is like now 25 or something years old. So whether or not it's, it's relevant to what's happening today or not, is, it can easily be called into question. But even in 1994, surveying 251 gun owners is a pretty poor uh, pool you know, for this kind of information. Like it's not statistically sound, right? Like a high school research paper would be failed by a high school teacher if that's if that was what you were trying to use for your statistical analysis. 251 out of how many millions of gun owners is just completely ridiculous. Uh, and so it, it really is pretty silly. And even, even the like a closer analysis of that data, I was looking at a Washington uh, Post uh, fact checker and they looked at the actual data from that 1994 study and called it BS and said, even if this was statistically sound, at best, the data that was gathered in that study would suggest that maybe 22% of sales come from private sellers, not 40%. So the the way that the summary was written by the people who performed the study was inaccurate. The study itself was statistically unsound, and it was 25-something years ago. So I, I think that you know, anytime you hear someone stout out some huge number that suggests that some massive number of firearms being sold today are not going through background checks, that is just completely silly on the surface. I mean, think about it for yourself. Like, just think about you and your friends. 
for you know for every hundred guns that are acquired, how many do you think you guys go to a gun store to buy versus buy from someone off the street? I bet it's it's a significant majority that are coming out of the store. Yeah, I think there's some you know like just thinking through it logically. I think most gun owners tend to hold on to what they buy. I, I do think that there's some you know. Um, transfer as far as, you know, I, I've bought and sold guns over the years, but by and large, most of the guns I've purchased, I've, I've kept. Um, I think that's a fairly common thing amongst gun, gun owners. Um, because I mean, the only, the, the only things I've really sold was because I didn't like them. They didn't serve a purpose for me anymore. Um, but generally if I like the gun or if it's a decent gun, I'm hanging on to it. I'll tell you, <clears throat> That's another interesting thing, a kind of a, uh, well, I don't know whether it's an unforeseen consequence or not. Uh, perhaps it was foreseen. I don't know. But <clears throat> the uh, used gun market in Colorado has really, you know, it's, it it's, I wouldn't say it's non-existent, but it's not like it used to be. No. Um, so, you know, I'm not saying that's like, I, I think that's unfortunate. All right. Because at one time, like, you know, I used to be able to find decent deals, and now it's a lot more difficult. Um, now I know the politicians wouldn't necessarily care about something like that, but you know, just just a bit of a sidebar, kind of an observation. Um, but you're exactly right that uh, so forty percent of firearms sold don't require a background check, as this uh, study showed way back when. Um, even still, like. I guess it goes right into, all right, so this leads into lie number two that we have identified here. Criminals exploit the system by buying guns from private sellers so they can avoid background checks. That's silly. That's that's So that's the thinking here is that by having the universal background check, we remove one avenue whereby criminals can obtain guns to then go use in crimes. And I know we've talked about this before, and I feel like we even referenced something out of out of Virginia or something. I'll have to go maybe do some digging on, I don't even remember what episode that was. That was a while ago, but I remember talking about an article or a study or something, Jacob, that pointed out just how many guns used in crimes that they were able to trace back to a private transaction. And it was a very, very, very small number. Yeah. Crazy small. And and it's because it's just unnecessary and it's frankly not the easiest move. Like if you're a criminal, you're looking for the easiest, most convenient thing to do that supports your, your objectives, right? There's a Chicago Suns, Chicago Suns time report uh, for many years, you know, probably now seven, eight years ago where they basically surveyed uh, criminals in prison that had gun related crimes. And they, you know, they surveyed these criminals said, where did you get your gun? And and they tried to come up with some information from that. But, but if you just, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't take much logic. I mean, on the surface, it sounds good, right? Like, Oh, okay. Yeah, totally. Yeah, sure. Like if you're a criminal, you know, you can't pass a background check. So where are you going to get your gun? I guess you're just going to go buy it from some dude who advertised it in the newspaper, right? Like, okay. Yeah, that sounds fine. But, but a, a little bit of closer inspection, like it doesn't take much logic to figure out that's a pretty flawed assumption. Because it's just not really true. The vast majority of criminals get their guns by passing a background check. They go into a dealer and buy a gun and pass a background check because they weren't criminals when they bought the gun to begin with. And and that's that's in fact we're getting ready to publish a, a piece on concealedcarry.com. Matthew's working on it right now. I don't know how soon it'll be ready, but I'm guessing the next week or so it'll get published. But it, it takes a look at the guns used by 
the high profile mass murderers, you know, active shooters in the last, you know, decade and where they got their guns. And I'll, you know, I'll just let people guess how many of those got it through a private transaction. The answer is like zero ever. Uh, or very least what could be said is that the lack of a private transaction would have stopped zero of them from getting a gun. So, so the vast majority, they just go in and buy it in a store. They pass a background check because they weren't criminals when they committed before they committed the crime. Um, now, if you are a criminal, you've committed a crime, you know you're a felon, you can't pass a background check. Do you think you're like, oh, sh- dang it. You know, I live in a state with a universal background check law or the whole country, you know, requires background checks. I guess I just can't get a gun now. Like you're a convicted felon who wants a gun with the intent to commit a crime. And you think that that's your deterrent? N- wrong. Like, the, the most common way, the second most common way these people get their guns is by stealing them. They steal it from a friend, a relative, or from a, a, a car in a parking lot. They, your guns are stolen a ton. Like go check out, check out stolen gun statistics, and that's going to lead to another conversation another day. But guns get stolen all the time, which is um, already illegal. Like we already have laws on the books that make it illegal to steal my guns. So like I, if we're trying to prevent the criminals from stealing guns. Like I, I think we already did that. Like I think that's already illegal. Uh, so somehow believing that we wave a magic wand and now me meeting a dude in the parking lot that I met uh, on the internet to buy his gun and hand him cash. That's going to magic, you know, making that not an option to me anymore as a criminal who's intent on committing crimes. That's going to be the thing that makes it so I don't get a gun anymore. That's silly. Like any, like it takes very little thought to be like, yeah, that probably not going to work out. Yep. I found the the uh, document, by the way, <clears throat> that I remember discussing at one time, uh, and it is a Department of Justice uh, study actually titled Source and Use of Firearms Involved in Crimes, Survey of Prison Inmates. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if, if you go through this, it's it's pretty interesting. Like, for instance, gun shows. How often do we hear about the gun show loophole? Ugh. 0.8% of guns used in crimes came from a gun show purchase. Now, and even that 0.8%, some of them might have been sold to by a dealer at a gun show and a background check was still yeah, performed. That's fair. That's <laughs> true. Um, yeah, that's that's absolutely fair. And, you know, I know that there are some that would say, well, that's 0.8%. And like, we, you know, a life saved is is a life saved. And like, like that's, that's a worthy, you know, thing to go after. But people paint the picture that gun shows are this massive problem for flooding the market with illegal guns. And that's not the case at all. Um, 8% of guns were, uh, were obtained from or purchased or traded from a family or friend. Okay. That's fair. Now there's gotta be some individual culpability on that as well. In that, you know, you like, you've got to know that your buddy that you're selling this gun to is probably not the best person to have that yeah. gun, right? You know, like, so, but, so but the law is being proposed already exclude families from the law. Right. Right. So, so like well, it does so say what, family does, or friend or friend uh, or, or it friends, does, and it doesn't it. specify like a difference between family versus friends. So it could ah. be, Seven percent are from you know family, and one percent are from friends or something. Sure, like that. who knows? Yeah. So, you know, now it, it does talk, mention that about eleven percent they believe were purchased via straw purchases, which are also illegal, but people do them anyway, and that means that they've gone to a dealer, they've gone through a background check, and they were purchasing that gun on 
excuse me, for and on behalf of another person. Meaning that person gave them money to go buy the gun for them because they couldn't do it for themselves. So further enhancing or expanding their, the background check requirement doesn't solve the issue of straw purchases. It's, it's breaking the law and people will knowingly and continue to do so. Friends and family will continue to knowingly give or sell a gun to somebody they know shouldn't do it as well. Um, there's nothing that you can pass law-wise that's going to suddenly you know, remove that as being a factor. Yeah. Now, let's, let's be clear. Uh, just because it comes up sometimes, Jacob, and I think it's important to clarify, so a little sidebar here, and that is that a lot of times people think that that when, when we're talking about buying a gun as a gift, they make the mistake of of, of uh, confusing that confusing that purchase. as a straw purchase as well, and that is not the case. And by that, let me give you an example. If a number of years ago, my wife bought me a gun for for a Christmas gift. It's pretty awesome. She hasn't done it since. <laughs> <laughs> hint, hint. <laughs> um, you know, so she, she, and this was in accordance with Colorado law. And now this did happen after the law was passed in 2013, requiring universal background checks here in Colorado, Jacob. And I think that it's not uh, inconceivable that had she gotten the wrong person at the at the counter, that 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 they may have been a little confused about what she could do legally. Because I've heard stories of of even gun dealers making the mistake. Um, <clears throat> and it's usually probably more of a low level, lower level employee that, that maybe doesn't quite understand the nuances, but she was able to go into a gun store, purchase this gun. She even told the man there that it was a gift for her husband. And he's like, yeah, okay, no problem. Right. She's the one that got the background checked down on her. Cause she was the one that was purchasing it, but she was purchasing it with the purpose of gifting it to me. A straw purchase by definition is you give, like I give money to Jacob and Jacob goes to the store and buys the gun for me. It is not a gift. Totally different. I'm essentially employing him to buy that. I mean, maybe whether I'm actually paying him for his time or not, but I'm he's doing that on my behalf. And the reason for doing so would be because I don't, for whatever reason, I may not be able to pass the background. Yeah, you're a prohibited person. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, just want to make sure we clarify the differences between gifts sure. and, and, and straw purchases. Anyway, so <clears throat> all this to say, you know, we're talking about these lies. You know, criminals exploit the system by buying guns from private sellers so they can avoid background checks. It's a small percentage where that where they believe that that occurs. And, and even in that percentage where it does occur, removing that option does not mean that that criminal then can't get a gun. It just means that that option is closed to them. I can speak for a fact, and I don't necessarily like saying this, but I know of people in Colorado that continue to do private sales yeah, outside of the university background <laughs> check law requirement. So, so the fact is, yeah, I mean, and this gets kind of controversial because I, I believe that some of those people are generally law-abiding people and that in their minds and in their hearts, they're justifying that by saying, well, this is my way of, uh, you know, this is my, uh, what's the word? Um, mm, there's a phrase I'm, or a word I'm looking for. You know, it, it's, a, it's, 
because they believe that the law is unconstitutional and it's their way of not complying by, by continuing to do that. And I'm not going to judge them for that, but it technically means that they're no longer law abiding in that, in that case, as far as the law. Okay. Don't get me wrong. People will say, well, you're anti-constitution. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying there is something that, that is a law and you are breaking that law. Now you may be justifying it that you've, you truly believe the constitution says one thing versus another, but there hasn't been a court that's ruled on that. Anyway, point is, is like, even when laws are passed, there's going to be some measure of breakage of that law. Even when they passed pretty much all like, like universal uh, gun confiscation in Australia, they still estimate they only got like a third of the total guns that were out there. Because people refused to comply, and they bid, uh, buried them up, or hid them, you know, in their in their cellars, and or whatever, you know, like so. People are going to not comply. So the law will not provide the effect that the that the politicians wish it to. Sorry, that's kind of my. Hopefully, that got my point across. Yep. 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 <clears throat> The last uh, thing that I just want to clarify in terms of misinformation, because you'll hear this one too. People say something like, well, we we know the background check system works by looking at the number of people who don't pass the background check, right? If you look at the data and say, oh, a million people, you know, went through a background check during X period of time and, you know, 2% of them failed, then clearly we just stopped those people from buying a gun that otherwise they would have gotten one. So clearly the system is doing its job. Okay, that that's that's a common semi-logical uh, argument, but it's ridiculous. Uh, it's it's ridiculous on a number of of, of surfaces. Um, <laughs> it, it's ridiculous in one in one way because there's research that suggests. In fact, there was a study in 2009 that suggested that 94. Think about the number. 94% of denials of failed background checks were false positives. In other words, 94% of the time when someone failed a background check, they should have passed. Like that, you know, that they were able to appeal that, get something fixed, cleared in the records, and then go in and actually be able to pass the next time. So that, that that's, that's concerning uh, to be certainly true. Uh, but more importantly, it's, it's operating this idea that a criminal someone who's already unable to pass a background check, right? So they've already committed crimes that they've been convicted of, serious crimes, felonies. You know, you're, you're, you're suggesting that these, these felons uh, march into a gun store attempting to buy guns only to discover that and, sh- and be shocked. Oh my gosh, I, I can't pass a background check. Oh, bummer. I guess now I can't go commit crimes with a gun. Like it, was that is that the argument? Like I'm I like you you've got to be joking. Uh, so so a a large percentage, you know, at least one study said ninety four percent of these failed background checks are false positives. Mm-hmm. But certainly, I think we could all agree that, that the number is probably at least half based on that study. Uh, and, and even even then, even if we got a bunch of really bad naughty criminal people who are felons who are stupid enough to go attempt to buy a gun at a gun store, fail the background check. And, and if they really want a gun to do more illegal, naughty things, if you think that that's the stopper, that I got, I guess I'll change my ways now. You're insane. Like that's you're pathologically in denial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, here's the other thing: is that uh, 
actually before I before I I, I remembered I was going to say something else. I actually have a friend that almost every time he tries to go and buy a gun from a dealer, he has to I don't remember the exact process, but basically appeal it because because of his name and everything like. It, it gets flagged because there's somebody else out there with the same name and whatever information that gets plugged into the system that like almost every time he has to like do, you know, go through the process of saying, no, that's not quite right. You need to, mm-hmm. you know, look a little bit deeper or whatever. And then he's able to, you know, get his gun. So it's, it's uh, the, the background check system only works as well as the quality of the information that's put into it. And the, and the way this, that information is queried, and mm-hmm. verified, right? I, I have a friend like you. I have a friend. <laughs> his name's Armando. I'll, I will spare his last name. But uh, he has to get to the airport four hours early because he knows when he checks in at the TSA desk, they are going to flag him and put him in a room and ask him hard questions. Because mm-hmm. someone that shares that his name sucks. is on a no-fly list. That sucks. <laughs> so, yeah, he just he just extra counts on an extra hours. two hours for the interview at the airport by TSA. Uh, so... He, he's not a gun owner. He doesn't own any guns, but I'm sure he'd have an interesting time if he tried to go pass a background check. Mm-hmm. That's and that's the point, right? Is uh, of this last this last lie, right? Like, oh, but it, clearly the system works. Look at all the denials that we shell out. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, yeah, most so the vast majority of the people you're denying are actually fully qualified. Right. And if you think that someone being denied on a background check is going to prevent them when they are intent on committing naughty crimes with guns. That this is the thing that's going to stop it from happening, you are very naive. Yeah. No, I was just thinking too that based on, like it's we, I've seen the numbers somewhere, but we already know that the number of background checks that fail is a pretty small number. It's a pretty small percentage uh, compared to. The, you know, when you look at just how many there are being done on a daily, on a monthly, on a yearly basis, I mean, we're seeing record sales year over year over year for the last number of years. And so you put in the context of just how many background checks are being done, how many guns are being sold, and there's a small percentage that are denied. And then what we're saying with this latest point that you brought up is that a significant percentage of that very small percentage of denials are actually false positives. So the true denial rate is really, really, really small because I suspect most criminals know they're like, it's fruitless and pointless for them to try to go to a dealer and buy a gun. Well, all that it's illegal. Mm -hmm. If you're a felon and you attempt to buy a gun, you broke the law. Mm -hmm. You broke the law just by trying. Now, you might say, oh, geez, if we're denying thousands and thousands of people every year, you know, background checks, and, and if some of those are felons, then surely we're arresting them and charging them with the crime of having tried to buy a gun, right? Yeah. Uh, no. Average number of people charged and prosecuted in an average year for, for attempting to buy a gun when they're not supposed to, three and a half, not three and a half thousand, not three and a half million 3.5 humans in America on average per year are prosecuted for attempting to buy a gun when they're not supposed to. That's uh, astounding, actually. That's that's uh, jaw, jaw-dropping like holy crap. So that gives you some sense for like the quality of the system and how well it's being enforced. Three and a half people are being prosecuted on average a year. So if you're a felon 
and you know you're not supposed to be owning guns, you're a naughty boy, you don't walk into gun stores and try and buy them because that is inherently on its own a crime. Now, if you do commit that crime anyway, you probably don't have to worry about prosecution. You're probably not one of the 3.5 uh, a year that are going to get nailed on that. Uh, Riley, just for anyone's context who's curious, January of this year, 2021, 4.3 million background checks were conducted in this country. 4.3 million in a single month. <laughs> I want you to stop and think about this. You don't pay the federal government for that background check to be run. So how are they funding it? Like think how much dollars, how much tax money is being wasted and being spent on this system. How much bureaucracy exists, how many people are employed, how many computers, how many networks, how many whatevers. Like just think how much wasted cash, tax dollars are being spent to maintain this system so that we can prosecute 3.5 people a year. Well, now we we do pay for them in Colorado. Well, we pay All a state right. fee. The state Colorado. gets that money is uh, you know they're exempted from from NICS. So when you do the background check in Colorado, that that is a that is a, a an exception that's allowed per the ATF uh, certain states. I don't know which all the states are that are exempted from the NICS system for gun purchases. Uh but uh but yeah, I I, I totally get what you're what you're laying down is it, is that it is I'm sure an expensive uh system to operate uh, nationwide and it uh, results in in very little to show for it in terms of positive benefit. Um, the other thing I was going to mention is, you know, specifically related to a number of the high profile incidents, you know, we're talking mass, mass killings, mass shootings, uh, including this one just happened in Boulder where the, the, the guns that are used in those crimes were obtained legally. Uh, they went through a background check and people will cry out and say, well, how is it? How, how could that happen? How could that be? And in some of those cases, some of those people have been shown to have had a history of mental illness even, and yet somehow they still pass the background check. The Sutherland Springs, Texas shooter was someone that had had domestic violence issues uh, with a former spouse while he was in the air force. But somewhere the Air Force screwed up and failed to put that into the system. So my point about it only works as good as the quality information that it's put in because there can still be human error. And there are still opportunities where information perhaps could be inputted and is not for whatever reason. And and thereby someone that perhaps arguably shouldn't have that gun was able to purchase it through a legal channel. Um, Now there's a comment here from Brett. It says, we keep talking about why these laws won't work. Every two, a supporter is talking about uh, talking about this. One thing I'm not hearing is what will work. That's the discussion we need. That's a fair point, Brett, in that, you know, the purpose of our episode today is just talking about one proposed solution that is common. It's one of the catch-alls uh, that that is thrown around, thrown around in various political cir- circles, uh, following a major, you know, tragedy uh, where a gun was used. And the purpose of today is just to talk about why this common thing that is supposedly supported by a large number of Americans is not as uh, feasible as, as what 
they try to sell it to us as. But to your point, I, I, I actually wanted to mention that I'm morally opposed to the idea of background checks at all because I believe it's a flawed uh, idea and a flawed system. And I believe that uh, criminals will obtain criminal will obtain guns uh, through a variety of means, regardless of what the law says. I believe that those that are intent on doing harm to others will find methods and means of doing so, regardless of you know universal background checks or non-universal back you know some sort of background check system in place or not. And so you know it, it is only an infringement upon law-abiding citizens in this country. That's all it is. Every time you go and buy a gun, it's a very, you're, you're having to just simply verify that you are already something that you knew yourself to be in the first place, a law-abiding citizen. Very few criminals go through the trouble of trying to get a background check for obvious reasons. So it is only an infringement. And I know that there's some, some perceived, uh, uh, what's the word? Um, not de-escalation. De- uh, starts with a D. Perceived. Ah, what's the word, Jacob? Like uh, I, I don't know where you're going. No, where I'm going is like that. That it keeps some people from trying to obtain guns when they, you know, the, the fact that there is a background check system in place that that they deterred. There we go. Determined. Gee, deterrent. Man, that was a difficult one to get out of my mouth. Um, there's some perceived deterrent there. I get that, but those that are in town doing harm are not easily deterred. And I, and I don't think you can make a case for how much positive societal benefit exists because of background checks in terms of lives saved. I just don't think you can. And frankly, if it truly was about saving lives, there's so many things in our society that we could tackle to save lives but because guns are a hot topic you know hot button issue you know they get they get brought to the forefront so so many times yeah um actually i I would love to do a podcast episode sometimes like three you know gun violence pieces of legislation i could get behind like i'm I'm all for that conversation and i do have thoughts and opinions uh, on things that i would absolutely support they're just not super popular. And the things that are popular are things that restrict the rights for all humans to get, you know, in America, all Americans to own or have certain types of guns or to get them a certain way. And, and that's, that's the problem uh, is that the, the current directive, the current entire premise on which legislation is being drafted is false. And so until we clarify and help people understand that the premise is wrong, we're going to continue to draft legislation that, that doesn't solve the problem. Mm-hmm. All right, Brett continues to comment. We can't say this doesn't work and not suggest something else that does work. I think what I'm trying to say is I can't think of something as it relates to this topic, universal background checks. I can't think of of something opposite of that, that or or that I could say, well, UBCs don't work, but this would. And what is this that we're trying to achieve is probably the deeper premise that I'm trying to get across. What What is it that we're trying to achieve? And I think what people are trying to achieve is 
you know, this is that we're trying to save lives. I, I well, if, if anything, the last year has taught us when we look at what's happened in 2020, since COVID kicked off, since all these other, you know, these, these riots and these protests and everything that's happened. I think what 2020 has taught us is that the government cannot guarantee your personal safety. It's something that's incumbent upon all of us individually that if I want to have the best chance at guaranteeing my and my family's safety, I have to take that into my own hands. To me, that's where the solution is, but it's not a popular solution on the other side. They don't want to see that. They don't believe that that's the answer and it's a no-go in terms of the conversation, but that is like, that is at the core of this, what this is all about is the government cannot guarantee our protection and our safety on an individual level. The government's job, in my opinion, is guaranteeing our safety on a, on a, in terms of securing our, our nation against foreign attacks and threats outside of this country. And that is something that they can more or less guarantee. But on an individual level, it comes down to me. And so I can't think of some, something as simple as, well, we have, we just tore down universal background checks. I can't put something in its place and say, well, this other thing will work. To accomplish the end goal, but it, but it is about allocation of resources, Brent. And so I, 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 you know, without, I just don't think today's conversation is designed sure. to go into those details. But, but, but I will just say, allocation of resources is everything. Like if we talk about the millions of dollars being spent to create, uphold, and attempt to execute the background check system, then eliminating that system frees up resources. And so the question is simply allocation of resources. Can those resources be allocated in some other way? that would be more effective than the way it's currently being allocated. And to that, I think the answer is yes. I think it's pretty easy to think about lots of places. We could allocate those resources that would probably have a pretty substantial uh, impact. I'll give you an example. I'll just give you one real easy one. Yep. Yep. Um, could we take those millions of dollars and put a cop in every elementary school, middle school, junior high school, and high school in America? I bet we could. I bet you the dollars spent to execute the background check system. And and if and, and, and by the way, if we talk about how much more money we'd have to spend if we had universal background checks in place, it's substantial, substantially more expensive. So so if we're talking about the amount of money being spent on, on the current system and how much more we'd have to spend if we executed the proposed legislation that we're discussing today and say, hey, just take that money. And, and I, I think that we could come up with lots of potential ideas that would probably be impactful to better protect people. And that's just one. I think we could protect our children just by putting a cop in every school at the door. <laughs> You're locked, create one entry point, one choke point, put a cop at it, and poof, that probably is going to have a pretty substantial impact on gun violence in our schools. And it probably would cost less than we're currently spending on the national next system, mm-hmm. which leads us to prosecute 3.5 people on average a year. Right. Right. No, and that's fair. You know, that, that, and, and I've talked about that before. In fact, I was involved in a you know, very intimately here on a local level with our school district, uh, putting together a, a school safety and security plan. And that was something that was discussed uh, quite extensively about what could be done in terms of putting more, more bodies in terms of police officers in schools. 
And, and, and so, yes, I, I, I see where you're going with that as far as the allocation of resources. Absolutely. That's just um, one example on which I'm not perfectly informed, but it would seem like a potential logical option, right? Like mm-hmm. we're talking about allocation of resources, the tax dollars. If you think the government's going to start, you know, taking in less revenue, you're full, right? Mm-hmm. So if we, if they stop spending it in one place, they're going to spend it somewhere else. And so that would be one potential idea. That's, that's a simple thing that would probably have an impact to some degree in certain, for certain people. Yeah. 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 You know, and that, that's the thing is like, you know, when Brett calls upon us to find solutions, uh, and I think this is the difficulty that many of us on the pro two-way side of things find it difficult to engage with the anti-two-way side is because the anti-two-way side finds these these catch-all ideas that, hey, if we do this and this and this, it's going to make us safer. And on the, the problem is, is that the general public finds that easy to believe because on the surface, it seems to make sense, right? Whereas on our side, proposing real solutions, there's no one simple solution. It's, it's like what I said a long, you know, earlier in the beginning of this episode about how what's responsible for whether crime rates increase or decrease is actually quite a complicated question, there's a lot of factors that factor into that. And I think the solution is not, it's not that clean cut and dry. I think that there could be a lot done in terms of supporting uh, uh, various community programs, particularly in higher crime areas, uh, supporting, you know, there's lots of people out there doing amazing work on the ground, on the streets with trying to work with youth and trying to keep them from going into, into gangs Right. And I believe a lot of that has a huge impact and it could be expounded upon greatly, but resources are, are few and far in between, but, and it's not a, you know, it's not a, it's, it, and again, that's not a single solution that's going to by itself result in, in what we're trying to achieve. Um, I think that there, there's, you know, mental health, holy cow, it's a whole other thing. Our mental health system is so broken. Right. And for whatever reason, we continue to not throw, you know, throw money that way. If anything, programs continue to be more and more defunded on the mental health side of things. So, you know, it, it's those more nuanced areas and and answers, or it's those more nuanced things that could be the answers to what we're trying to solve. And none of those are easy answers and they all cost money. And uh, it's just far easier to say, let's just take away the guns. But I'm on record of saying the following, and I, I don't know if Riley has ever agreed with me or said he's on record as well, but I'm on record of saying the following. I am open to legislation that limits our gun rights. If the benefits outweigh the downside, it's, it's not complicated. Like I'm not, I'm not just, Close-minded to it all. Like, show me a proposal where we're going to save enough lives that it's worth some inconvenience to gun owners, and I'm on board. Like, that's I'm I'm good for that. Like, I don't have a like hold you know hard stop you know thing with gun control. Like, I really don't. I like if you if you show me legislation that's really truly clearly in my in my opinion going to save lives, and and all it does is cause some inconvenience for gun owners. I'm on board. I just haven't seen that proposal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Universal background checks certainly ain't it. Well, 
and I I get what you're saying there, and I I tend to believe that it's it's nigh upon impossible to craft a law that would that would uh, show that the benefits would outweigh the costs uh, on in terms of limiting gun rights. Um, but I'm also of the belief that you know our founding fathers, for whatever reason, saw fit to put into place the Second Amendment, and I think it means what it says and what and and you know, on principle alone, I get what you're saying, and I would say I generally agree, but I also say no. <laughs> infringe means infringe, so no thank you. Thank you for, you know, because, like, here's the thing. With freedom, we have to accept some potential dangers. Like, it's just a fact of life. It's like any parent with their child. We want our children to grow up and to learn for themselves. And part of that is they have to learn from making mistakes, getting hurt, banging their knees, you know, breaking arms and legs and stuff. We could be helicopter parents and be right there hovering over them at every minute of every day and ensure their safety. But what do they learn from that? Right? If we're going to truly be a viable, productive, progressing society, then we need to have that freedom to be able to govern ourselves. And that's to me is like at the core of this, it's what it comes down to. And, and because of that, we have to accept some risk, some potential danger um, by, by having freedoms and being able to be agents unto ourselves. So you can't, you, you know, if you have one, you got to have the other, right? Yes. Uh, which is going to, I'm going to use that as a segue to kind of our final point here. Yep. And and we've talked about the lies. We've talked about the misinformation, the things that are said that are not true. Now let's talk about the true harm. Like what is the, you know, we talked about we're willing to put up with some inconvenience if it saves lives. Well, what what, what is the real like fear here? What is the concern that the, the gun rights community has with background checks? I think that's the next point here. And this is where our, our, our track record here in states like Colorado becomes really relevant. The first thing to, I think, really clearly understand is that these laws are not enforceable today. In, in today's environment, there's no, way to, there's no way to prove that anyone broke that law, right? Riley, if you go buy a gun and then you hand it to me and we say, screw the system and I don't get a background check and I just take off with it and I get pulled over by cops and they say, where'd you get this gun? And I say, uh, I bought it yesterday. They have no way to prove otherwise. So... The, it's inherently impossible to prove because the guns aren't registered, right? Because when Riley buys a gun, there's no system somewhere that says Riley Bowman now owns a gun with serial number XYZ because that doesn't happen because that doesn't exist. There's no way to enforce a law that says it's illegal for him to hand me that gun and me to walk away with it. So the, the inability to enforce it uh, is a serious complication. It's a complication for a number of reasons. One, it makes it impossible to know whether or not this law we've passed is working. We have no idea because we don't know if anyone's following it or not. We don't know if anyone's breaking this law or not. There's no real way to know. Uh, there's no way to prove it. There's no way to arrest people and charge them with it. Uh, it's just kind of this complicated thing. It, it, it's it's expensive. You know, we're going to create this new system and have more infrastructure and and have, figure out how to pay for it. I mean, prior to July 1st, 2013 here in Colorado, when the universal background check law was passed, we had we didn't have to pay for background checks. But now when they pass this law, they said, oh, you know what? This is going to add a certain amount of burden on our system. We have to hire new people. So we're going to need some more revenue for that. And so now we're going to start charging people a fee. So not only did we make it illegal to transfer a firearm privately in Colorado, but we also now make it a, a feed cost expense to do so. 
uh, whereas previously it was free. Why? Because someone's got to pay for the system and the infrastructure, and they're not going to get any more tax revenue, so they decide to pass that on to the gun owner who's doing the transfer. It effectively creates a tax system where every time you want to transfer a gun, even if it's a gift, even if you're just giving it to a, to a, a brother, you know, brother-in-law, like even just giving someone a gun, there's a tax now. Uh, involved if that person is not an immediate family member. And the tax is not only the state fee, but it's also the, that background check can't be performed on some state website. Riley can't go log into some website. Like, let's just do a background check on my buddy Jacob before I give him a gun. Now we got to go to a dealer. So the dealer has to spend their time doing it as well. So the dealer is going to charge what's generally known as a transfer fee. And those range anywhere from 25 to 50 bucks, depending on the dealer. So we now have created a tax system in place. Riley, do you remember a couple of years ago, uh, it was 2014 here in Colorado, so not too long after that law was passed, a law enforcement agency that had seized a gun as evidence, okay, they determined that the, the person wasn't a criminal and they needed to return the gun back to the gun owner and were unable to do it because they are not FFLs and can't run background checks. So a police station, a police department is unable to give a guy back his own gun because they themselves would be breaking the law. The state law that exists. So it's impossible to enforce. It creates a huge tax burden. It's expensive to the taxpayers. But but I, I, I build all that up and explain that because you need to understand something. When a law is passed, sold under the guise that it's going to do something, it's going to reduce crime, it's going to reduce this and that and the other thing, and then it's unable to do so. What do you think the natural reaction of the people in the legislatures is? Is it to say, ah, we were wrong are bad. Let's get rid of that. It's expensive. So we should do away with it. Or is it to say, why isn't it working? Like, what is the thing we would need to do to make it work? And that's what they do is they say, well, what, what do we need to tweak and change to make it work? And there's only one thing that can be done to actually give teeth to this, to this kind of legislation. Only one. Um, that's, uh, that's me deciding I've been talking for too long, Riley. I'm going to let you take it from there. Well, uh, yeah. I think it's probably about time we just wrap this up. Um, I guess my summary to all of this would just be that uh, we, we, we've lived here with universal background. I'm going to go back to where kind of where I started. We've lived with universal background checks in Colorado for almost eight years. We were told that that's what we had to do because now what, what was the, uh, uh, the driver for passing all the laws we did back in 2013 was the Aurora Theater shooting, right? He was a, a young man that had uh, had mental health issues. Uh, you, you know, he had, I'm trying to remember, did, where did he acquire his guns, Jacob? I think he bought them. I, I think he bought check. them at a, at a dealer, right? Yeah. That's what I seem to recall. Um, I'm confirming why you why you talk. Here. But at the very least, you know, there was all this talk about. Well, he had mental health issues. That was pretty known. It was known to the school. He had a counselor and stuff he was working with or through. Um, but none of that was in the system, anyway. Right. But he that bought was, four guns legally at a local gun shop. 60 days before the shooting. But yet we were told to prevent another Aurora theater shooting. We needed universal background checks in Colorado. We were told we needed a magazine capacity limit. We were told all kinds of things. But yet we've had multiple mass killings in Colorado since that time. While we've had all these laws. The laws are not what protect us. And that's the thing I think we got to drive home that we got to understand 
It's not the laws that protects us. I think somebody even commented in the comments just a little bit ago that, that it's just a paper, right? Like it's like a restraining order. Yeah, it, it has it has effect if the person chooses to abide. Like someone willingly goes, well, if I violate that, it could get me in trouble. So there's some measure of deterrent, but it doesn't deterrent everybody and it doesn't deter the most motivated of criminals. And that's the key. The people we should be the most worried about are the people that none of this has any effect on. And I guess that's where I'll leave it right there. Yeah. So I, I just, I have a hard time believing that universal background check deters any crime at all. Like I really just <laughs> struggle to believe it has any effect whatsoever on crime that, that someone who wants to do something naughty with a gun ends up not doing it because they're unable to pass a background check and therefore can't obtain a gun legally. I just struggle to believe that that's, that has any effect whatsoever. Uh, and, and, and if it does, then I'd like to see the data. You know, we, we have a bunch of States who have these laws in place. So please show me the data that should exist if it's working. And I don't think we see that data. The data we keep getting told is this is the percentage of guns that are obtained through private uh, transfers. We keep, keep being told these are the number of people that are failing the background check. Therefore, it's working. Uh, but no correlation that actually suggests whatsoever that actually it's preventing people from committing crimes or the violent crime is going down because these laws exist. And so I think that that's, that's a stretch. But most importantly, I think, is what I said earlier, that the, these laws can't work, don't work, and they're expensive. And the only thing that will make them work is firearm registration. It's it's the it's 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 ultimately necessary. I'm not saying it's always the motive. I think that you know, conspiracy theories aside, uh, whether they're true or not, and I'm not I'm not throwing an opinion on this one. I'm simply saying that regardless of the if the motive of this kind of legislation is ultimately gun confiscation or not, it is irrelevant. What matters is that when you pass these le- this legislation, it doesn't work. And because it doesn't work, the only way to give it teeth, the only way to make it work is to create gun registration. And so inevitably, it's, it's the end point where we have to go. Because until we know who owns what guns, how can we prove that someone did or didn't get a background check in order to transfer that gun? And so as long as we can't prove it, it's really irrelevant anyway. So if you want universal background check laws in place, you need to understand that you're, you're effectively acknowledging that firearm registration is going to be necessary in order to make them work. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I think that's a great place to wrap this up guys. I hope you enjoyed this discussion today about universal background check laws. Um, today's episode is sponsored by, the ReadyUp Gear MCF Spark Flashlight, available at readyupgear.com. I don't know if I actually mentioned the link earlier. Uh, there's a direct link in the show notes of today's episode, um, but uh, just go to readyupgear.com and look for the MCF Spark Flashlight. MCF stands for Mod- Modular Compact Flashlight, in case you're wondering. But uh, the Spark is is pretty awesome. All right, so go pick one of those up. And also the ReadyUp Gear rechargeable batteries are a great way to feed this thing. You know, I've got a couple of them and and I just keep one on a charger or make sure I keep one charged at all times and and swap them out periodically. And, you know, typically, I I mean, I don't remember a lot. I think it's been probably about two or three weeks since I swapped the battery out in this thing. So, you know, it, it does a pretty good job of doing the things I need it to do. And I use flashlights on a near daily basis. Uh, it's just a, a 
you know, when, when it's something you have in your pocket all the time, you find all kinds of great uses for it. So also ammo supply warehouse, ammo supply warehouse.com uh, guys, go check them out. We appreciate your support of our sponsors. And so with that uh, brings us to another end. Uh, oh, wait, we're supposed to do a giveaway announcement, Jacob. Yes, yeah. we are. You want to pull that up? Yeah, I'll get we don't have Matthew with us, and so Matthew's usually right on top of that. Um, but while Jacob's pulling that up, I thought I'd mention that later today, instead of at 4 p.m., the normal time when we shoot to do that, uh, the later episode today will be done at 5 p.m. Mountain Time, and that'll be an interview with a retired Navy SEAL Team 6 member, Don Mann who is actually the host of a new TV show that I'm going to be on. So Don reached out and uh, thought it'd be cool if we did a podcast together. And he's a, he's a pretty fascinating individual. I think we're going to have a really fascinating conversation with Don Mann, author of many books. He's an adventure race runner. He's done triathlons and just all kinds of like really, really amazing things. I think as a, as a human being, you know, to do all the, all the tough things that he's done through in, in the course of his life on top of being a, a Navy SEAL. So look for that at 5 p.m. today. We'll do that show live and that interview with Don Mann. Jacob, if you got our software pulled up there where we pick our random winner. Yep. Today's prize that uh, we're giving out is the Laser Dot Trainer. Laser Dot, one word, from Ready Up Gear. And the winner can have a caliber of their choice. The winner is Philip H., Last name starts with the letter H. Philip, you are the winner. Got your email address right here. So I want to pass it to uh, Matthew. And Matthew's going to reach out to you and confirm your address so we can ship you your laser dot trainer. Uh, next week, the product being given away, I'm going to confirm here, is the DVD. Top 10 things you probably don't know about self-defense law from Andrew Branca. Awesome. Well, guys, make sure you get signed up each week for our weekly giveaway. Go to concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. And with that, we'll wrap this up by reminding you to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. Mm-hmm.